Good morning, guys. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. We're coming to you live this morning uh, via Zoom uh, through the technology that Jeff and Jeff uh, so relentlessly pursue and, and help us uh, by, by gathering guys together on Thursday morning. If you're not with us live and you're watching later, we uh, welcome you for that as, as well. Phil is uh, in Fairhope this morning. He is by himself. That is not a good thing. So he will be watching his monitor to see responses back from us and uh, wish him the best. Guys, uh, in the middle of the pandemic, you know, we're closing in on a year now. Um, Phil and Carla continue to stay active. Uh, the problems of this world and, and uh, needs of men and women have not diminished. If anything, they've grown. Uh, and in, in light of that, uh, i got a couple things I want to cover with you. First off, uh, this weekend, if you have not figured out what to get your wife for Valentine's or if you're on the fence and uh, think you're going to get, uh, well, you know what your, what your problem may be, uh, couples <laughs> workshop. Online registration is still open. There are still spots available. If you're uncertain, unsure about what to do, uh, just go online, fill up, fill it out, uh, head down to Fairhope. They're going to be outside the cold weather. I don't think this cold front's going to make it that far south, and you have a great weekend. Tuesday, next week, Two-Gun Tactical, 6.30 to 8.30. Men will gather, have a meal, bring your own tobacco, bring your own wine. You can shoot, but you can't drink and shoot, so make your choice there. Fish camp. The following weekend, 10 days from now, 19th to the 21st, Phil will host a fish camp. Deer camp is closed for the season, for the year. Uh, fish camp is now officially kicked off. So if you have an interest in uh, doing a couple's retreat, gathering with men at Two-Gun Tactical, or participating in a three-day uh, intensive workshop at fish camp, there are opportunities available. Go to the website, sign up, register, be there. Let us know if you want to come to Two-Gun Tactical so we can make provisions to be sure every man will have a meal there to eat. Guys, we continue in the series, Joshua. We've been in the wilderness. We're moving from the wilderness into the promised land. What a glorious day. Let me open this with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity of gathering here. Lord, we thank you for Phil. Thank you for Jeff and Jeff and Chris as they diligently work every week to prepare information and put it together so that we could gather here, whether live, remotely, or in recording. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your promise, promise kept. We thank you for your son that you willingly gave up for us, for our sins, to do what we could not do, redeem us, restore us, act as an avenue to be reunited with you. May we never forget that. May we accept his grace. May we be joined with you. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Am I good to go, Jeff? Or? Yep. Yep, you're good right. to go. Good. All right. Very good. Thank you, Joe. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, glad to be in warm Fairhope uh, this morning. Last week or two weeks ago when I was here, my hands were so cold when I finished even uh, here in Fairhope in front of the fire 
um, that I wished I had my gloves on. So I'm uh, grateful that it's uh, about 63 degrees this morning and we're out here on the patio and uh, front of the fire. And uh, so glad we can be together uh, this morning. So as we start, uh, I want to offer you a song by that great gospel singer, George Strait. And uh, we're talking about promises this morning. Uh, Joshua was equipped to cross over into the promised land to handle uh, the, his future and each step over in the promised land because of the promises that God had made. And that is how God intends us to, to live out our life is remember promises, remember promises, knowing that there is someone on our team. So I want you to uh, imagine God singing this George Strait song to you. The name of the song, you're all familiar with it, is I Cross My Heart. And I'm just going to change uh, two pronouns in the top line. So follow with me if you've printed your notes out. Listen to the words of this song as if God were singing it to you. My love is unconditional. You knew it from the start. I see it in your eyes. You can feel it from my heart. From here on after, let's stay the way we are right now and share all the love and laughter that a lifetime will allow. And then, and then jump down to the very last uh, stanza, the very last stanza. And if along the way we find a day it starts to storm, you've got the promise the promise of my love to keep you warm. In all the world, you'll never find a love as true as mine. A love as true as mine. May you hear the voice of God as that great gospel singer, George Strait, sings, I Cross My Heart. We knew it from the start I see it in your eyes You can feel it from my heart From here on after Let's stay the way we are right now And share all the love and laughter That a lifetime will allow Cross my heart and promise to give all I've got to give to make all your dreams come true. In all the world, you'll never find a love as true as mine. Make each tomorrow be the best 
promises of God. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Guys, we continue. Uh, Joshua, take the land, be the man. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph, and I hope you've printed out the notes. And once again, we are grateful for Chris uh, for putting the notes and outline together. The book of Joshua is the book of conquest. The battlefield is Canaan, and it is where God keeps his promise that he made with Abraham. In this study, we will use the land possessed by Joshua and the people of Israel as a metaphor to understand how we take possession of what it means to be a Christian man. We will examine 10 issues that men face every day each day is a battle to be faced with courage, strength, and faith. You must be courageous, will you? So this morning, uh, gentlemen, we move into issue number two of the 10. We spent several weeks on identity, and now we're going to spend a few weeks on focus. What is your focus this morning? I mean, it is so easy for me to get up every morning and I just feel scattered. Initially, I feel overwhelmed. I feel a, a kind of anxiety about the day. I'm always, I'm a morning person, so I'm always excited uh, about getting up and tackling uh, the day. But at the same time, there's this, there's this anxiety that if I don't get that under control, and get my focus right, um, then I will go through the day much, much, much heavier and weighted down, anxious and out of sorts. What are your priorities? 
What is your focus today? I want you to turn over uh, in your journal. Let's do some journaling. And I have three questions that I want you to consider as we get started. Each one of these questions is about your focus. Focus question number one, what are you feeling stress about today? And I've got a little uh, misprint there. What are feeling stress about today? You can figure that out. What are you feeling stress about today? Write that down. Where, where do you feel challenged? We, we all feel stress. Everybody is stressed um, on some level. It's so important to identify that. That's part of the journaling um, that we start out with. Lord, I need to be focused on what is my priority, not distracted by all the stressors. I spoke with somebody uh, this week in my counseling office uh, that's dealing with addiction in their home. And so much of the conversation was the fear that things are going to get worse. The fear is things are going to get worse. The addiction issue is going to get worse with their family member. And part of what I was uh, trying to walk them through is to stay focused on what you control, what you can control. Stay focused on knowing that you're going to get through this as opposed to worrying, 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 being anxious about what all is going on that you can't control. I mean, if you um, have an addict in your home, and most everybody does, everybody has uh, addiction uh, issues in their family, you can't control that. And part of the uh, uh, MO um, of a dysfunctional family is that the addict controls everybody. And it's just like, no, keep your focus, be in control of you. You can't control the addict or what those external circumstances are. Question number two, focus, focus. What do you believe that you need today? What do you believe that you need today? Man, I just wish I had this. I, I wish I had this. I, I need, I need. I want to, in the midst of our journaling, I want to share a passage with you that I would invite you to journal on your own and personalize this passage. I want you to turn over to um, first Peter, uh, Second Peter, Second Peter, um, chapter one. And I think Jeff's going to throw that up on the screen. Second um, Peter chapter one, verse three and four. I want you to listen to this. Second Peter uh, chapter one, verse three. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we ever received. We were also given absolutely terrific promises 
to pass on to you, your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turned your back on a world corrupted by lust. Now that passage is saying that everything that you and I need for this day has been given to us. We've been invited to receive those promises. It's like getting a ticket to the Super Bowl. I love watching the Super Bowl this past weekend. The old guy won. That's all I'm going to say. The old guy won. Um, and it's like, you know, I, if I remember correctly, like 7,000 plus um, urgent care um, uh, first responders, types, nurses, doctors, firemen, policemen were invited into the Super Bowl stadium. That's like receiving the ticket that God gives us every day. I mean, he says, I've given you everything that you need to handle today. God always makes a way. And that's the way we start our day. Now, again, as I've said to you many times, I don't wake up that way just normally. I, I have to kind of get myself, my head, my crazy monkey brain in sync to believe what is true, not believe the lies and the vows that are attacking me every day. Don't believe the lie. Believe the promises of God. Third question. What are your most important resources? Identify them. Most important resources, God himself, his promises, friends like you, uh, friends like each other in this men's community. I've got numerous guys uh, right now that um, are tuned in that if something's going on, I've got you on my speed dial. I call you. Um, we were just talking about uh, the beauty of Jeff Cook and Joe Barlow pulling up in my driveway uh, back in September um, in the midst of all the Hurricane Sally destruction. That was, that was community at work. Um, they showed up all the way from Jackson. Thank you for my, uh, thank you for my brothers. Thank you for the resources. Um, we need to be aware of those resources. Make sure you have those resources identified. You've got guys on your speed dial. Focus, 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 ready for the day. So let's dig in. So Joshua, once again, let's read our marching orders as Joshua received his marching orders. I love this passage. Verse six, Joshua chapter one, strength, courage, you are going to lead this people to inherit the land that I promised to give your ancestors. It's like saying each day, guys, you're, you're going to lead this day. This day. Give it everything you have, heart and soul. Make sure you carry it out, the revelation that Moses commanded you, every bit of it. Don't get off track. Again, focus. Focus. Don't get off track, either left or right, so as to make sure you get to where you're going. And don't for a minute let this book of the Revelation be out of your mind. 
ponder and meditate on it day and night, making sure you practice, practice, practice everything written in it. Then you'll get where you're going. Then you'll succeed. Haven't I commanded you? Strength, courage. Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. Focus, focus. Keep chopping wood, as Grandpa says. Keep chopping wood. Don't get discouraged. God, your God, is with you every step of your way. And then once again, turn over to the last chapter, uh, Joshua 24. Joshua says to his people, verse 15, if you decide that it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve. And do it today. Choose one of the gods your ancestors worshiped from the country beyond the river or one of the gods of the Amorites on whose land you're now living. And the implication there is, and how'd that work out for them? But then he says, as for me and my family, we'll worship God. As for me on this day, my focus, my focus is to simply walk humbly with my God to do justice and to love kindness. Micah 6, 8. Um, every day, my focus. So as we get started this morning, and again, as we always do, Joshua is our model. He is the Christ figure in this story. And he leads us to an understanding of manhood. So as we start, and you're going to build any kind of a house, number one, we've got to have the foundation. What is the foundation? Now, last week, what we looked at in terms of Joshua's uh, preparation that is a model to us is the book that he read, the power of God that he had available to him, and he was called into leadership. He had a calling. Read the book, rely on the power of God, and, uh, and lead. Initiate, initiate, initiate. Don't be passive. Be the man. Take the land. Be the man. But the foundation of all of that is found in Exodus 32. Verse 13, I want you to turn over to that. Again, <clears throat> preparing for the day. Preparing for what's ahead of us. In Exodus 32, and I'm going to start with verse 11, but 13 is where we're headed. Verse 11, Moses tried to calm his people down. He said, why, God, would you lose your temper with your people? Why? You brought them out of Egypt in a tremendous demonstration of power and strength. Why let the Egyptians say he had it in for them? He brought them out so he could kill them in the mountains, wipe them right off the face of the earth. Stop your anger. And then, and then verse 13. Think twice about bringing evil against your people. Think of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you gave your word, telling them, and here's the promise, I will give you many children, as many as the stars in the sky, and I'll give this land to your children as their land forever. The context here 
is just the sin of the people in light of the, uh, them turning to a, a golden calf, idol worship, to trust in an idol to bring them through. And, God, and, and Moses prays to God, says, God, you promised, you promised. And once again, we have got to see as we start each day that my foundation is the promises of God. What I believe is far more important than what I do. Because if I believe well, then I will do well. But so many of us get it backwards. I'm going to do, and I'm going to do, and I'm going to do. But I really don't believe that it's going to get better. My anxiety is so high. I am worried. I'm worried. But I'm going to keep doing. I'm going to keep doing good. Dude, at some point, you're going you're to quit. Because your belief and understanding what you know to be true is what really is the engine that drives the bus. I mean, what you do is really just a hood ornament on the bus in a certain sense. But the engine is your belief in what God has said throughout all of redemptive history. You've got to believe my promises. Just like the George Strait song says, you know, know my promises that no one loves you like I love you. I promise. And so what he does, as is, as is huh? typical. No, that's mine. You won't like that one. As is, as is true in all of redemptive history is God works through a man. He works through you. He works through me. He works through Abraham. Look over at Genesis chapter 12, and, it, and as God's um, redemptive uh, history uh, course is getting started, he chooses a man, and he says this to Abram before he changes his name to Abraham. God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. That is the promise. That is the promise that God gave to Abram. And we have the wonderful privilege of, of looking back and seeing how God kept his promise. And we are part of that promise. And what is so critical about the promise is it's about grace. It's so much more about grace than my performance. Man, I can get so discouraged so easily because I'm not nearly the man that I wish I was. I fail every day. And again, what it means to be a godly man is not to not fail, but to have the courage to admit when we fail. I mean, we've created a men's community that I, that I love um, out of the biblical mandate to be humble, um, to admit your faults, to create an environment where guys can do that. And we don't shun you. We don't turn our back 
Because when you tell me how you failed, you know what? Me too. It is kind of a me too movement in a certain sense. Me too. I have failed. This idea of grace comes right out of the beginning of brokenness. When brokenness, true brokenness, entered the human condition, grace showed up. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And guys, Genesis 3, verse 15, is the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. Everybody knows one verse. Uh, you, can, you can learn John 3, 16 by watching football games, or at least years ago when the idiot uh, guy... Uh, had his, you know, his outfit on, and he had uh, the placard, John 3.16. The Old Testament, John 3.16, is Genesis 3.15. Remember that. Now listen to this. We'll start with verse 13, when God begins to, um, uh, or, or verse 14, when God begins to address the serpent. Verse 14 after a hell broke loose um, and uh, sin entered the human condition, God told the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed. Cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals, cursed to slink on your belly and eat dirt all your life. And then verse 15, I'm declaring war between you and the woman. God shows up. He declared war, declaration of war between your offspring and hers. And then he says this, he will wound your head. You'll wound his heel. In your study Bible, it actually reads, he shall crush you on the head. Who is the he? Who is the he? It is King Jesus, warrior Jesus. He's going to knock your block off. He's, gonna, he's going to strike an ultimate critical blow to your head. He shall crush you on the head. And yeah, you'll get him on the heel. You shall bruise him on the heel. But he's going to crush you. He's going to crush you. I want to show you one of my wife's favorite actors. Kind of hurts my feelings a little bit, but you know, I'll get over it. But this is, this is a great scene in Taken. This is the climactic scene when war is declared on the bad guy by a daddy whose daughter is being abducted. And this is a picture, in a sense, of what God does for us when he declares war on the enemy of our own souls, what's this? They're going to take you. Kim, stay focused, baby. This is key. You will have five, maybe 10 seconds. Very important seconds. Leave the phone on the floor. Concentrate. Shout out everything you see about them. Hair color. Eye color. Tall, short, scars. Anything you see, you understand? They're there. I can hear them. Remember, concentrate.
Marco, are you sure you're going to go? Put the phone closer so I can hear. What's your excuse? You're not sure. Ani Brestash, Marco, Ani. Must be. Looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Good luck. Wow. Guys, I would suggest to you this morning that that is the picture of God's ferociousness, ferociousness that pursues the enemy on our behalf. I have two daughters. When I, when I watched that scene, the first time I saw that scene years ago, I mean, it just puts knots in my stomach. Uh, all of us that are fathers, I mean, none of us want anything to happen to our babies. God is the same way. He says, I love you. I promise that I will take care of you. And what's amazing about this is you've got to understand that when God says this to the enemy, he initiates grace. Up until that, it was a covenant of works. You know, do not eat of the tree. Make sure you're obedient to me. And all of a sudden, when Adam and Eve were disobedient, God didn't say, okay, you guys are on your own. You know what he does? Exactly what you and I would do for our son or our daughter in trouble. We would pursue whatever we could pursue in order to bring them into a safe place. That is grace. They don't have to do anything. We don't do anything but simply cry out to the promise keeper. That's grace. It's not works. It's grace. In God's redemptive story, there's two branches. There's two branches that start to emerge. And in, and in that two branches, and just turn over to the next page there in Genesis chapter 4. What, what we have is Cain 
and Abel. And everybody kind of knows that story. And through Abel comes Seth. And from Seth's lineage comes Jesus. Now listen to this. Genesis chapter 4, God is revealing his redemptive story just so we can understand his promises. Genesis chapter 4, verse 25. Adam slept with his wife again. She had a son whom she named Seth. Now, now this is after Cain has killed Abel. And she said, God has given me another child in place of Abel whom Cain killed. And then Seth had a son whom he named Enosh. And that's when men and women began praying and worshiping in the name of God. And through the lineage of Seth, God fulfills his promise. Two branches. It's like the old story uh, that you've heard me tell uh, many times. Uh, the old farmer has two dogs. Uh, the two dogs used to fight all the time. So they asked the old farmer, when your dogs fight, which one wins? And the old farmer said, whichever one I feed. Guys, we see good and evil uh, in ourselves. It lives inside of me and in the external world. But it's like my focus is on the promises of God as best I know how, and I keep chopping wood in order to be a part of the lineage of Jesus, and I follow him. See, the cool thing about this, just as there's two branches, there's, there's two aspects of God's promises that were given to Abraham. First of all, there was the spiritual promise, and the spiritual promise is just the idea of the forgiveness of our sins and will be restored. And that is the preview of Jesus coming. I will restore you. I am a God of, re, uh, of restoration. Isaiah 58, verse 12. I love that. Um, you will raise up, restore, uh, rebuild that which has been torn down. And God gives us restoration. This weekend, uh, Carl and I, as Joe mentioned, we'll do our couples workshop. There's couple, I don't know everybody that's coming, but I know a, no, a number of couples who are coming and they are in need uh, of restoration and rebuilding their marriage house. I'm confident that Jesus will do that. And then, and then the second part um, is, is what is called in, in the promise is the national part of the promise, and that's the land. God's, God's going to restore the land. I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to give you tangible, concrete space and place. And that was part of the promise. So guys, isn't this amazing? All the resources that we have just in this redemptive story. I mean, God's given us this man named Joshua who was mentored and tutored by Moses, and he, and, he, and he wants him to start out with this foundation. You've got to live by my promises. The greatest resource that you have are the promises that I give you in the book of life. I'm a powerful God. I've called you to lead. On this day, lead 
and know that you're a descendant of Abraham. It is my grace, not your performance, that is so critical. It is so important to see that you're from the lineage of Abel and Seth and Jesus. And I'm telling you, I promise that you will be restored to an intimate relationship with me through Jesus. And I'll give you your inheritance to land. So what are your priorities as a man? What's your focus? And I would suggest to you once again, that what God calls us to be is faithful. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. I love this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Don't imagine us leaders to be something we aren't. The Apostle Paul is writing this. I love that he basically is identifying himself as just a broken sinner. Uh, you know, don't put us on a pedestal. We are servants of Christ, not his masters. We are guides into God's divine secrets, not security guards posted to protect them. We're not trying to keep you out. We are trying to bring you in and let's sit together. The requirements for a good guide are reliability and accurate knowledge. It matters very little to me what you think of me, even less where I rank in popular opinion. I don't even rank myself. Comparison in these matters are pointless. I'm not aware of anything that would disqualify me from being a good guide for you, but that doesn't mean much. The master makes that judgment. Guys, I'm telling you, this passage is absolutely critical to our battle that we fight every day. I've, I've, I've been at this um, uh, battle a long time, many years. Just had a birthday this past weekend, had a great birthday weekend. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, uh, but I've been around long enough to understand that it is easy to get taken out. And, you know, it's so critical that we not take ourselves too serious, um, but that we remain faithful. This passage, the Apostle Paul is saying, I don't, I don't allow myself to be judged by other people. I don't even examine myself. And that is the, that's the battle of shame that we all have. We need to assess where we are, do an honest assessment, but we don't bring judgment on ourselves and disqualify ourselves or allow somebody else to disqualify us. I've, as I've said to you before, I've got people who won't come to men's roundtable because I'm leading, because they know of some of my failures in the past, you know, bless their heart. That's all I can say, uh, because I would say they don't know me. They don't know us. Um, I am a broken man. I have failed. I failed my wife. I failed my family many, many times. But guys, I am passionate about the promises of God, and I'm going to remain faithful until my last breath, as best I know how. Till my last breath, I will remain faithful as best I know how. And by God's grace, he will protect me from the enemy. Faithful. And, you know, again, in this idea of manhood, God always gives a model. 
and you're a model to your sons and grandsons. Um, I'm a model uh, in my own way. I'm not the best model, but I'm a model. I, I, I want you uh, to see the way I do it and do it better. But God always gives us a model. So I want you to turn over to Luke. And I love this passage of, of Jesus's life. Jesus lived a full life. He had a busy, busy, busy life. It says this in verse 31. He went down to Capernaum, Capernaum, a village in Galilee, and he was teaching the people on the Sabbath. They were surprised and impressed. I love that. He was teaching the people on the Sabbath. Now, that was going to get him in trouble right there. He had a gathering, kind of like being in the pandemic, and you have a gathering. You know, they could put you in jail for that stuff. They were surprised and impressed. His teaching was so forthright, so confident, so authoritative, not the quibbling, quoting they were used to. I mean, oh my goodness, this guy's real. This guy's real. In the meeting place that day, there was a man demonically disturbed. He screamed, stop, what business do you have here with us, Jesus? Nazarene? I know what you're up to. You're the Holy One of God, and you've come to destroy us. It's like the demons were crying out, depart from us. And Jesus shut him up, quiet, get out, get out of him. The demonic spirit threw the man down in front of them all and left. The demon didn't hurt him. That knocked the wind out of everyone, got them whispering and wondering, what's going on here? Someone whose words make things happen. Isn't that funny? It's about time that somebody showed up at the gunfight with a gun. Someone who orders demonic spirits to get out and they go. Jesus was the talk of the town. Busy, busy, busy Jesus. Focus Jesus. Listen to this. He left the meeting place and went to Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was running a high fever and they asked him to do something for her. He stood over her, told the fever to leave, and it left. Jesus, on the move. Now, I love this line. Before they knew it, she was up getting dinner for them. <laughs> you know, I think the reason Jesus healed her is because he was hungry. You know, okay, I healed you. What's for dinner? When the sun went down, everyone who had anyone sick with some ailment or other uh, brought them to him. One by one, he placed his hands on them and healed them. Demons left in droves. Demons left in droves. Screaming, son of God. You're the son of God. But he shut them up, refusing to let them speak because they knew too much. They knew him to be the Messiah. See, he couldn't let them just go out running around because then Easter would have been in October and he had to wait till the spring. Joke, joke, Easter on October. You know, he, he had a timeline. He left the next day for open country, but the crowds went looking and when they found him, clung to him so he couldn't go on. And he told them, this is Jesus's focus. Don't you realize that there are yet other villages where I have to tell the message of God's kingdom, that this is the work God sent me to do. Meanwhile, he continued preaching in the meeting place of Galilee. Guys, as I've said to you many times, the most amazing thing to me about Jesus is not that he healed people, but that he walked away from people that he could heal. That's amazing. Jesus had his priorities right. He had a focus. He was able to say no. 
he was able to say no. And so the third thing in terms of manhood that I would suggest to you is you've got to answer this question every day, every day. What matters most? What matters most? At the end of this day, what do you want to say about your day? You got everything done? You got everything uh, on your, on your uh, to-do list done? No, I don't think I've ever had a day like that, and, and nor have you. But what I want to say as best I can with all humility is I have done justice. I've loved kindness, welcomed people into my presence, and I've walked humbly with God. God, this is such a, guys, this is such an a, a exciting paradigm, uh, uh, paradigm that God has given us Joshua. And what Joshua had were the promises of God. I remember his promises at 10 o'clock in the morning, at noon, at two o'clock in the afternoon, at the end of the day, I remember his promises and I am infused with grace and power. And as I remember his promises, I'm able to walk out the gospel every day and walk with God. Guys, I hope you will uh, walk with, with God today. Remember his promises. He loves you. He loves you. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you uh, so much uh, for your word, uh, the dynamic, uh, redemptive story that you've given us to fuel us on this day, in this place. Um, help us to be the man that you have designed us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. See you next week.